Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Jubilee family, it's good to share this time again. Um, If we haven't had the chance to meet before, I'm your uh, cousin from down the road, down in Joplin, Jerron. Um, Hope over this next 25 minutes or so um, that we're both blessed by the word. So let's jump in. Um, This is the fifth week of a series titled Battle of the Mind. And this week we'll be talking about anxiety and fear for the future. Um, Anxiety and fear of the future. Before I go forward, I will say that there are two different kinds of anxiety that are generally within common conversation. There's what would be called clinical anxiety where someone would have to take medication. Um, And then there's uh, what I'd call common anxiety, an anxiety that all of us can develop and probably have developed at some point. Uh, I wanna focus on the common anxiety that all of us develop. Um, If you're someone who who deals with clinical anxiety, I would encourage you to seek whatever professional help is possible, Uh, seek whatever help from friends is possible, Um, continue to seek prayer, but I wanna talk about this common anxiety today. Um, so I'll invite you to step into my shoes. August of 2013, um, I'm fresh off the proverbial train from my hometown, Lawton, Oklahoma, and I'm in Joplin, Missouri for all of two hours. Um, and I'm on my college campus for all of one hour. And I was at the bottom of this hill walking out of the athletic center and walking up the hill towards my dorm. And as I'm walking up towards the dorm, I see three shadowy figures. And my inside said to myself, self, shall this be fight or shall it be flight? And I said to myself, give me about two seconds. Uh, Let me analyze and I'll get back to you. So then I started the sizing up process. You know what the sizing up process is, right? Where you look at what's up there and then look at what you've got going on right here. And if what's up there is more than what you've got right here, then you're you're anxious, you're fearful, It's, it's, it's flight. But if what you've got right here is more than what's up there, then it's fight. Yeah, so I started the size up process and I, I start to size them up. I look at, I see man one, uh, white man, about 6'4", arm hair that looks like he wrestles bears, calves are the size of my whole body, had on camo shorts and a band tee before it was cool. Um, so then I moved to person two and I saw about 6'2", another white man, brown hair, kind of scrawny. People are shouting his name. He looks popular, like he has a reputation. And so then I move on to person number three. He's about 6'3", blonde, as pretty as they get, well, rather muscular, hat on a tank top. Um, and then I look, so that's what's up there. And so then I look at myself right here. And at this point, I'm 5'9", on a good day, after some prayer, uh, 165 straight muscle, had a brick of an Android in my pocket, my keys. And so I get back to myself and I say, self, after this sizing up process, I realized that those three can't hold a candle to me. Let it be fight. And so I kept walking forward, chest out, shoulders straight, voice deep, ready to go full on Bruce Leroy at anyone who wanted to come at me. Step out of my shoes and step into the shoes of this group of Christians who we're reading this letter that it's written to them in Revelation. These are Christians who are in the middle of the sizing up process. What's up there looks like a future where whatever bit of religious freedom they had in the Roman Empire at that time was gonna dwindle around, dwindle down, and the Roman Empire was gonna send out bounty hunters, if you will, to hunt down all Christians and exterminate them until they're extinct from the earth. And so now they're sizing up. What's up there looks like a loss of job, 
What's up there looks like a prison bed. What's up there looks like a death penalty. And what's right here is just us, a couple Christians in Asia. And because of what's up there was more than what they had right here, they, they start to get anxious. They start to get fearful of what's up there. And their, their response and their anxiety and fear of the future is flight. Those shoes sound like your shoes, don't they? Because in some form or fashion, we all find ourselves in this spot where what's up there and what's coming at me seems to be more than what I've got right here. What's up there looks like a political landscape in which Christians aren't given um, privilege over other groups. What's up there looks like a hard circumstance. What's up there looks like a tough uh, conversation. What's up there looks like job loss. What's up there looks like sickness. And what's right here is just me, my abilities, people's perception and opinions of me, maybe the few resources I've got. And as we're in the sizing up process, when what's coming at us is greater than what we've got right here, we, we start to get anxious. We start to get fearful for the future. But if what I've got is greater than what's up there, then I'm confident. And we constantly find ourselves in this fluctuating process between confidence and anxiety, confidence and fear for the future, confidence and anxiety, confidence and fear for the future. And more often than not, we find ourselves in a spot of being fearful of the future. And what do we do? We flight. We jump ship on Jesus, if you will. And I'm not saying a full on rejection of Jesus. I'm even saying a rejection of Jesus and a jumping ship on Jesus and even the daily obediences of following him. What's up there looks like a political landscape that I don't like, so I'm jumping ship on the mission of Jesus and I'm throwing myself into the mission of a party to try to fight for what I want politically. What's up, what's up there looks like financial hardship, so I've jumped ship on the generosity that Jesus has commanded me to and I'm hoarding and calling it saving. What's up there looks like, what's up there looks like maybe some tough conversations in community that come with being a Christian. And now I'm jumping ship on Jesus and loving and living in his body. And now I've, I've pushed off community for the sake of protecting myself. What's up there seems pretty threatening. And it's more than what I've got right here. And now I'm anxious and fear for the future. If you're in that process, just like these Christians in Asia were in that process, Jesus says, while you're looking over here and over there for confidence, what I want you to do is I want you to see me now. As a matter of fact, that'll be the title of our time together, See Me Now. Jesus says, I want you to see me now. John, he starts off this, uh, this letter that we just wrote by showing us a vision. Um, and John says, I turned around and what I saw was one who looked like a son of man. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know that came from Daniel chapter 7. There's a guy named Daniel um, a couple hundred years before Jesus who he, he wrote some prophecies and some dreams that God had given them, him. And one of those dreams was of this person who looked like a son of man, a human. And this person was riding a nimbus cloud up to the throne of God. And God gave this person all glory and power and dominion. And John says, this person looked like a son of man. Fast forward 600 years, this young cat walking through uh, the Middle East who's preaching named Jesus, he stopped calling himself Jesus. And when people started asking him about himself, he started calling himself the son of man. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four, the four gospels that describe Jesus's life, the number one title that he had for himself was one like a son of man. Then he dies, he rises again, right before he floats off into heaven. He tells his disciples, all authority, all dominion, all power, everything that the Son of Man in Daniel 7 had, I've got, it's been handed to me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm the one like a Son of Man. 
So when John, when he turns around and says, I saw one who looked like a son of man, he says, I saw Jesus. Now, now, Revelation, let me tell you what Revelation is. Revelation, the whole book of Revelation is Jesus giving his church visions that will propel them forward through a future that they're fearful of. And so Jesus, when he wants to show his people something that will keep them going forward in a future that they're fearful of, in a future that they're anxious about, he doesn't start by showing them the new heavens and new earth that pop up in Revelation 21 and 22. He doesn't start by showing them the defeat of the oppressive Roman Empire in Revelation chapter 18. He doesn't start by showing himself, showing uh, the death penalty being enacted on all evil and causes of evil in Revelation 6 through 15. He doesn't start by showing them their happy future in Revelation 7 or 11 when Jesus wants to show them something that pushes them forward through a future they're afraid of. The first thing he shows them in Revelation chapter one is himself. Jesus makes himself the source of his people's comfort. Jesus says, if you want confidence, to go through a future that you're fearful of. I just want you to see me now. Don't look at what's up there. Don't look at what you've got. No, look at me. Uh, following Jesus, just like marriage, if you're a Christian, it's, it's, it's leaving and cleaving. That includes leaving all sources of confidence and cling, cleaving to Jesus alone as our source of confidence. Jesus says, I want you to break up with those side piece sources of confidence that you have. I want you to break it off with those sources of confidence that you've been shacking up with. I want you to leave them and cleave to me. I want you to leave your money, leave your abilities, leave people's recognition of you, leave people's predictions, leave all other things and cleave to me as your source of confidence. So, so here's my big application. I'll give you application in the introduction. The big application is this, consider Jesus as the main factor for your future. Don't consider circumstances as the main factor that dictates your future. Don't consider what you can do as the main factor, factor that dictates your future. Consider Jesus. If Jesus ain't in the equation when you're adding up how the future will turn out, that's bad math, friends. No, no, Jesus is the only factor in this equation. Jesus says, see me now. So in this specific text, there are four things that Jesus is drawing our attention to that about himself that will give us confidence in him for going forward in the future. I just wanna point those four things out. The first thing that Jesus says, it's, he says, see that Jesus is here. See that he's here. So in this vision, John says that when he saw Jesus, Jesus was standing among seven lampstands. Later in this text, Jesus said those seven lampstands represent the church. But wait, don't go off too far yet. The first time, that lampstands in the Bible were used to represent the people of God was in Zechariah chapter four. In Zechariah chapter four, there was only one lampstand that represented the people of God. How'd it go from one lampstand to seven lampstands now? Between the time of Zechariah's prophecy and between the time of John writing this letter, God's people went from people made up of one nation and it grew to people made up of all nations. No longer is it one lampstand, but it's now seven lampstands. So John says, I saw Jesus standing among his global people. He's here. Oh, oh, I want to call a witness to the stand. Can we call King David to the stand? King David, if he came up to the stand, he'd testify and he said, I, I wrote a blog once about this, this game I played. The game I played was called Where's God? And the premise of the game was I traveled anywhere I knew to go and I looked to see if God was there. You might've read that blog before. It's called Psalm 139. David, he said, 
I went up to the highest point in space and God was there. I, I dug my own grave and laid down into it and God was there. I took the red, light, red eye to the other end of the earth and God was there. I hid in the darkest shadows and God was there. The verdict is in, friends. Wherever I was, God was too. David is trying to show us what Jesus is also trying to show us. Wherever you are, Jesus is there. There's nowhere you are where Jesus is not. He's there. And when I say he's there, I mean, he's like, they're there. Some of you, you have friends that you can look at right now and you can think about and you say, they were there with me through it all. What did that mean? That meant they were more than just a body, but they were engaging with you through it all. They were comforting you through the loss. They were giving you counsel through the confusion. They were a shoulder for you to cry on. They were, they were engaging with you. When I say Jesus is there, Jesus is here, I mean, he's here engaging with you in everything. Jesus is here in the heartbreak. Jesus will be here in the, in the hard circumstances. Jesus will be here in the confusion. And when he's here, he's available. You can call on him. There's a song I love all to him. If you grew up in the church, you've heard this. What a friend we have in Jesus. Uh, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to him in prayer because he's here. So the first thing that Jesus says is see that he's here. The second thing is that Jesus wants you to see about himself is to see that he's got you. See that he's got you. John says that, John, he describes Jesus' clothes in this vision. And he says that Jesus wore a long robe and a sash or, or, or a belt around himself. This is a shorthand description of what priests in the Old Testament wore as they were working in the temple. And the job of a priest who worked in the temple was to keep those lampstands burning to metaphorically keep their life going, to metaphorically sustain them. So when John says, I saw Jesus dressed like a priest among the lampstands, he's saying, I saw Jesus among his people sustaining them. But not only that, John says, Jesus was holding stars in his hands. And he says, those stars represent the angels of the churches in a way that means that they represent the churches themselves. Jesus held stars in his hand but it's in his right hand. If you do a quick Bible study through the Old Testament, whenever God talks about his right hand, that's his hand of power. So Jesus is saying, I'm holding my churches, I'm holding you, my people, in my powerful hand. And in a sense, that means Jesus is, is, is exercising his control in your life, but in a greater sense, that means he's protecting you with all of his power. So Jesus is sustaining you and he's powerfully protecting you. If I could summarize that, that means Jesus, he's keeping you. To those of you who, like myself, like to call myself a responsible planner, how many nights have you spent up anxious, sleepless, because you didn't know how to plan or prepare to protect or sustain yourself through an unknown future? How many times have you felt defeat because you've tried as much as you could to prepare yourself, to, to prepare to keep or sustain yourself through an unknown future, and life still hits you like a Mack truck and things still happen regardless of all your effort. Let me free you from your self-expectations. There is no circumstance, not one, in which Jesus requires or expects you to sustain or protect yourself. He says, I got you. Oh, you know those glory moments where you, you've, got the, you've got the goods in your hand. 
You've got the wedding cake. You've got the 12 bags of groceries. You've got the eight cups of Starbucks, your keys and your, and, and your cell phone in your hand. And you're doing a balancing act with all of your ability to get those things from point A to point B without letting them drop. And so you're balancing and you're balancing and you're balancing. Then a friend or a family member sees you and they say, you need help. And what do you say to them? I got it. And so you keep on going. And then voila, the moment of glory. You've gotten them to point A to point B. You had it. You didn't need no help. Jesus says, I got you. I don't need your help protecting you. I don't need your help sustaining you. I've got you. So Jesus says, the next thing that he wanted you to see is he wanted you to see about himself that he has you. Um, Here's the third one. Jesus wanted you to see about himself that, that, that he's the shot caller. Jesus wants you to see that he's the shot caller. When John says he described, when John says he sees Jesus and his face was shining and his hair was real bright and his eyes were shining and his feet were like bronze, John, he's recalling a vision again that's from Daniel chapter seven. And he's described, Daniel is describing a person called the ancient of days, God, if you will. And he says, this is exactly how the ancient of days God looked. But at the very end of that description, Daniel said that he was judging. The ancient of days who looked like that was judge. So when John says that Jesus looked like the ancient of days, John is telling us Jesus is that judge. But push it a little bit further, John says that Jesus had a sword coming out of his mouth. There's a scripture in Hebrews where it says the word of God, the word of Jesus is sharper than any double-edged sword. In Hosea 11 and Isaiah chapter six, or in Isaiah 11 and Hosea chapter six, God talks about himself or his servant sword that is his tongue. So when John says Jesus looks like the ancient of days and there's a sword coming out of his mouth, he says that Jesus's declarations are decisive. He's the shot caller. So me and my wife, Chelsea, we've been married for about um, three years and two or three months by now. Um, And I like to call her Queen Chelsea. That's actually her name in my phone is is Queen Chelsea. She hates it sometimes. She loves it sometimes. Depends on the day. Um, But I call her Queen Chelsea because what she says is in my house. Queen Chelsea, she wanted to move out of our loft downtown and get a yard, and so we ended up in a house. Queen Chelsea, she wanted a puppy, so we ended up getting two puppies. Just a few weeks ago, I wanted the AC on 68. Queen Chelsea wanted the AC on 75, so we compromised and set it on 75. Um, Queen Chelsea's word is what is. She's the shot caller. I'm trying to tell you that Jesus, his word is what is. He, in a sense, is a cosmic shot caller. Whatever he says goes in creation. It's not a hope. It's not a dream. It's not a suggestion. Jesus' word is reality. In the beginning, Jesus said, let there be light, and light was just as he said. In the beginning, Jesus said, let the sky separate from the waters, and it separated just as he said. In the beginning, Jesus said, let the continents separate the oceans, and it was just as he said. Jesus said, straighten up, and crippled legs straightened up. Jesus said, open up, and blind eyes had 20-20 vision. Jesus said, get up, and a dead man walked out of a tomb. What Jesus says is. So come here. Some of you right now are, 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 are living sleepless under a cloud of anxiety because you've let someone else be the shot caller of how the future will play out. Don't hear me say reject wise counsel. No, seek wise counsel. What I'm saying is stop putting your faith in people's predictions 
of what will happen to you. Uh, back to me and my wife, when we were engaged over that six-month period, we had people come to us and say, oh, you're getting married? Ooh, I'll pray for you. And it wasn't the good kind of I'll pray for you. It's the, oh, you're getting yourself into a bad thing, I'll pray for you. You're just going to be tolerating each other, get ready to fight all the time. Year three will be real hard. Hopefully you'll make it through it. If you make it year three, you might be good, but watch out for year seven because that's the one that'll take you two out. And after a few weeks, we got to this point to where we thought, if that's what it is, we don't want it. And two people in our church came to us and we were talking to them and they said, those people are predicting how your life will go based out of their own limited experience. They're speaking from their limited understanding. They're speaking from their pains. They're speaking from their disappointment. They're speaking from their frustrations. They're speaking from their own limited life. When people try to place predictions on what will happen to you, listen, it's coming from the limited experience of a human. So I pray you detach your faith from the predictions of people and receive the words of Jesus, the true shot caller of how your life will play out. He's the shot caller. And here's the last one. Um, Jesus says, he says, see that only he can do what only he can do. So Jesus, uh, after John, he faints after seeing Jesus. And then Jesus picks him back up. And Jesus says, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. There are three times uh, that phrase is in the Bible prior to that. Um, all three times are in the book of Isaiah, another prophet and another prophecy that's recorded, Isaiah chapter 41, Isaiah chapter 44, and Isaiah chapter 48. And when God says, I am the first and the last, I am here, the living one, he's proving two points. The first thing that he's proving is he's proving that he's, he's alone, he's God alone. And other things are just statues, if you will. Those other things that you're depending on, they're lifeless statues made out of wood, made out of silver, made out of gold, if you're fancy and if you're bad, but Whatever they are, they're statues that can't help you. And God says, no, no, I am the first and the last, the living one. It's just me who's God. Can I remind you that that money you're depending in is a statue? It can't help you. Can I remind you that those circumstances you're banking on, they're statues, they don't have ears to hear you. Can I remind you that that plan that you're depending on, that's a statue, it doesn't have a mind to coordinate and orchestrate the un unexpected events of life. It's only God. And the next thing that God points out when he says, I'm the first and the last, I'm here, the living one, is that he's sovereign. He says, who created the heavens and the earth? Oh, it was me. I'm the first and the last, the living one. I I'm sovereign. I do what I want to do. I haven't played chess often, but I know enough of chess to know that most of the pieces on the chessboard are limited in the moves they can make. Um, but the most unlimited member of the, chess of the chess game is the queen. She can make almost any move. Um, in this game of life, God, he's greater than the queen in a chessboard because he's not limited in whatever moves he makes. No, the king, he can make any move. Uh, the, the, the king can create something out of nothing. The king can make water come out of a rock. The king can make rivers split open into dry highways. The king can make donkeys talk. The king can make a dead man get back up. The king can make any move. So as you're looking ahead to circumstances that seem unsurmountable and obstacles that seem unbeatable and you're getting in this spot of anxiety saying, there's nothing I can do. Listen, there's only one sovereign God. Whatever circumstances you find yourself up against aren't sovereign, God is. Whatever events come at you aren't sovereign, God is. 
and there's nothing that can stop God, Jesus, from fulfilling his purposes in your life. Ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low that can stop Jesus from doing what he wants to do for you. He says, see that only I can do what I can do. So, so, so in, this, in, this, in this sizing up process where we look at what's up there and then we look here, Jesus says, no, see me. See that I'm with you. See that I'm the shot caller. See that I got you. See that only I can do what only I can do. This is who I am. This is who I was. This is who I will be. As you go forward into the future, see me. If you were to say, Jerron, those four things were hard to remember. Can you just give me one thing to remember about Jesus? It's the, uh, I'll give you something. I'll give you something. Jesus is exalted. What John, he's doing, if I could summarize all of what John described, he's describing that Jesus is exalted. He's, he's lifted up. He's submitted to nothing. He's subordinate to nothing, but everything is subordinate to him. He's exalted. Uh, when I was younger, me and my cousins, we used to live together and we'd play games a lot. We're real competitive. And one of the games we played the most was I Declare War, a card game. Um, if you're not familiar with that game, um, you had a stack of cards in your hand and the other person had a stack of cards in your hand. And the goal was to get all the cards in your hand. And the way you did that was you'd place a card down and the person in front of you would place a card down and whichever card was the highest, that person, whoever placed that high card would get those cards. So we'd play, we'd play, we'd play. And when I say I, I'm competitive, I'm competitive, I'd stay up for weeks throughout the night game planning and strategizing on how can I beat my cousin? Um, and then it clicked. God, God gave me a vision once, if you will. Uh, I heard an angel come to my bed and said, the ace card. And I thought, oh yeah, you're right. The, the ace card was the highest card in I Declare War. What, the ace card trumped every card. As long as I had an ace card in my hand, I was good, regardless of what my cousin put in front of me. My cousin put out a seven, I'm good, because the ace card trumps a seven. My cousin puts out a king, I'm good, because the ace card trumps the king. My cousin puts out a two, I'm good, because the ace card trumps the, the two. As long as I had an ace card, I was good, because the ace trumped anything that came my way. What I've been trying to show you over these past 25 minutes or so and what John's been trying to show us in this, in this prophecy is that come what may, know that you're good because you've got a, a, a divine ace on your side. You've got the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, sovereign God, Jesus, on your side. Jesus, he's the divine ace card in this game of life. He trumps everything. Uh, unfavorable circumstances come, you're good because Jesus trumps everything. Loss comes, know that you're good because Jesus trumps everything. Pain comes, know that you're good because Jesus trumps everything. Abandonment comes, know that you're good because Jesus trumps everything. You say, Jerron, how do you know that Jesus trumps everything? How can you say that so confidently? Friends, well, I'll just point you back to that one weekend that, that made Jesus worldwide, baby. On, on Good Friday, he was hung up on a tree. On, on Holy Saturday, he was laid down in a tomb. On Easter Sunday, he was raised up in power. Jesus trumps everything. He got up and death was put to death. 
He got up and sin's power was dismantled. He got up and Satan was put in shackles. He got up, he trumps everything, friends. Death couldn't hold him. The veil tore before him. He silenced the boast of sin and grave. He has no rival. He has no equal. Jesus' name is the name above all names. He trumps everything. So whatever life deals you, you're good because he trumps it all. When you size things up, what's up there and what's right here, don't look at what you've got. No, no, just see him because he trumps everything. If you're not a believer, this is who Jesus wants to be for you. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, he wants to be someone. He, he wants to be the person to walk you into the, the good future that he has for you. He wants to be the person who's there with you through it all. He wants to be the person who holds you through it all. He wants to be the person who dictates your life. And let me tell you, friends, he's got good plans. And he'll prove it with all that power that he has and show you that those things that you've been depending on thus far, yourself even, it's nothing compared to him. He, he wants to exercise his sovereignty in your life. So if you, if you wanna know what more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, if you have questions about Jesus, there's information coming up on this screen and I'm gonna pray for you here in a few seconds. And um, I pray that Jesus, he shows you all that he wants to be for you. So Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for who you are for us. Thank you for being on our side. Thank you for walking with us. Thank you for, for holding us and keeping us. Thank you for showing us yourself. Help us to trust in you, to look in you. Not fear the future because of circumstances, not fear the future because we don't think we measure up, but help us to walk forward confidently by looking to you. Amen.